0: This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM.
1: Hello there and thanks for joining me again. I'm Robbie Bergen and you are listening to The Faith Experiment, right here on Faith FM radio, right across Australia. This is Episode 2 of The Faith Experiment and this is the show where we are going to explore faith in very practical terms. We're going to break down concepts and ideas which are sometimes very hard to grasp and many times are way too theoretical and sometimes even mystical. We're going to make it practical, something that you can take away, you can put into practice and experiment with in your own life. As I mentioned in our last episode, before we delve into some of the more contemporary issues of faith and explore how to put them into practice in our own lives, I thought it would be relevant and helpful to spend just a few episodes of this show, talking about how I began my own personal experiment with faith and how it shaped the course of my life and continues to shape it. Well, as I mentioned on the last episode, there was a point in my life when faith had no relevance whatsoever. I never even gave it a second thought. In fact, those who had faith, I considered to be weak-minded fools, if I'm honest with you. Who needed faith when you had science and facts and figures and experiments that can demonstrate our understanding of the universe? But, as I've already shared, my experiment with faith began in the aftermath of September 11, 2001. Now, if you missed episode one, there were three distinct consecutive events in my life that all culminated into what I refer to as my personal ground zero moment. The first was a moment in a nightclub where I came across a dark, shadowy figure. The second was a panoramic view of my life being replayed to me in that field during that thunderstorm in Brisbane. And the third was September 11, 2001. As I was sitting there in my office cubicle right there in the center of Brisbane, I came across that remarkable claim that those events in New York City were somehow connected to ancient prophecies contained in Hebrew manuscripts. Now, if you missed episode one and you want to catch up on some of the details, grab the Faith FM app from your app store or go to faithfm.com.au and look under the podcast section for the Faith Experiment episode number one. Well, this is episode number two of the Faith Experiment and I'm calling this episode the Aftermath. The Cambridge Dictionary defines the word aftermath as the period that follows an event or an accident and the effects that it causes. Now, on this show, I have a great giveaway. So stick around to get the code word during the show. You'll need to text the code word to 4 So save the number in your phone, 4 and wait for the code word. In the aftermath of September 11, 2001, as the dust literally began to settle with the speeches of politicians, first responders, presidents and statesmen, it was very clear that we were moving into uncharted territory. The day following September 11, then-Mayor of New York City, Rudolph Giuliani, spoke at the United Nations.
2: On September 11, uh, 2001, New York City, the most diverse city in the world, was viciously attacked in an unprovoked act of war. More than 5,000 innocent men, women and children of every race, religion, and ethnicity are lost. Among these were people from 80 different nations. This was not just an attack on the city of New York or on the United States of America. It was an attack on the very idea of a free,
1: inclusive, and civil society. This attack was not just being seen as an attack on America, but it was being seen as an attack on the free world. And this would redefine how the free world lived. On the following day of September 11, the General Secretary of NATO gave a press conference stating that this attack on America was seen as an attack on all the member states of NATO.
3: On September the 12th, the North Atlantic Council met again in response to the appalling attacks perpetrated yesterday against the United States of America. The Council agreed that if if it is determined that this attack was directed from abroad against the United States, it shall be regarded as an action covered by Article 5 of the Washington Treaty, which states that an armed attack against one or more of the Allies in Europe or in North America shall be considered an attack against them all. Accordingly, the United States NATO Allies stand ready to provide the assistance that may be required as a consequence of these acts of barbarism.
1: All the intelligent resources, all the military resources, in the known world were now being marshaled for use by the United States to launch a campaign the likes of which have never been seen before. This was to be a war like no other, a war upon an invisible army across international borders.
4: We are all traumatized by this terrible tragedy. We do not yet know how many people have been killed or injured, but inevitably the number will be high. Our first thoughts and prayers must be for them and for their families. I wish to express my profound condolences to them and to the people and government of the United States. There can be no doubt that these attacks are deliberate acts of terrorism, carefully planned and coordinated, and as such, I condemn them utterly. Terrorism must be fought resolutely wherever it appears. In such moments, cool and reasoned judgment are more essential than ever. We do not know yet who is behind these acts or what objective they hope to achieve. What we do know is that no just cause can be advanced by terror.
1: Now, the General Secretary of the United Nations did his best to call for calm and a calculated response, but the appetite was for something far more immediate, and it was growing daily.
2: Of our I can hear you.
5: <laughs> I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the
2: people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon.
1: The immediate aftermath of September 11 felt like we were all living in a dazed state. It was surreal. I mean, things were definitely happening and things were changing. But was it real? It felt like everything was spiralling out of control. The stock market suspended trading. The economy was in freefall and to make things even stranger just like that our second largest airline in australia goes bankrupt thousands of jobs in australia were lost the share market faltered something that occurred on the other side of the planet had ripple effects across every country in every economy on our planet this is
4: national nine news with peter hitchener and joe hall today our
2: nation saw evil the very worst of human nature
4: President Bush and the world stunned and horrified as hijacked passenger jets swoop out of the sky, delivering destruction and death to America's two most important cities. The United States' biggest and most powerful city has been changed forever by a calculated and ruthless attack that left thousands dead and its biggest buildings a pile of smouldering rubble.
0: Now to the rest of the day's news, and Ansett Airlines is on the brink of collapse tonight after Qantas rejected proposals to take over parts of it. While the Board of Air New Zealand considers its final options, Ansett workers in Melbourne are preparing for the worst. Charles Slade is at Tullamarine.
1: And if that wasn't enough, I mean, if it wasn't enough that the entire world was on red alert in fear of an imminent terrorist strike anywhere at any time, if that wasn't enough, and if the economy and freefall and the jobs being lost at incredible rates, if that wasn't enough, well, then the world was introduced to anthrax.
2: America strikes back. Anthrax, another infection, this time at NBC News and Rockefeller Plaza. The Florida man has contracted a very rare and potentially deadly form of anthrax. Rare inhaled form of anthrax. In Boca Raton, Florida today, a memorial service for Bob Stevens. He is almost certainly the first American to be killed in a deliberate anthrax attack.
5: Now to the home front and those concerns over anthrax in Florida. After one man died from the illness and his co-worker was contaminated, the FBI has taken over the investigation. The
1: aftermath of September 11 felt like it was too much to bear. No matter where you turned or who you talked to, what channel you are on, you couldn't escape the fact that the world was changing right before our eyes. Well, we have to take a short break now, but when we come back, we'll continue with my post-September 11 story. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment.
0: You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on oh four triple eight four five three double one. That's oh four triple eight four five three double one. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. You are not
6: hidden. Never been a moment You were forgotten You are not hopeless Though you have been broken Your innocence stolen I hear you whisper Underneath your breath I hear your rest So your You In the middle of the darkest night, it's true I will rescue you There is no distance We cannot be covered over and over You're not defenseless I'll be a shelter I'll be your armor. I hear you whisper underneath you.
0: Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today.
1: Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and on this episode of the Faith Experiment, we're looking at the aftermath of September 11, 2001. We just heard earlier from various different sectors of life and how the impact of the aftermath of September 11 was unescapable. The world was changing right before our eyes now in the previous episode I left you with that scene where it was shortly after September 11th I was sitting in my cubicle in that office building in Brisbane where I just came face to face with the prospect that perhaps there was some kind of connection between all of these events that were taking place in my life recently and perhaps prediction or prophecy had some part to play in In all of it, it was there on my browser that I came across that remarkable claim, written some hundred years before, that an event in New York City with tall buildings being consumed would somehow be connected to the prophecy of the 11th chapter of that Hebrew book called Daniel. Now, after finding an online copy of the Bible, which contains an English translation of this Hebrew book, I started reading it, hoping to find something to make sense of this moment. Now, I don't know if you've ever read or tried to read the book of Daniel, but for someone who has never read the book or the Bible for that matter, I found the book to be a very, very strange book. In the English translation of the scroll, the book is divided into 12 chapters, and basically you can divide the book into two sections, the first six chapters and the last six chapters. The first half of the book is kind of more historical written in story format, and and covers events regarding the Hebrew people and their captivity by Babylon, by a king named Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) And believe it or not, I actually knew this name Nebuchadnezzar, not from these stories, but from the movie The Matrix. It was the name of the ship in the movie. You know, it's amazing how many biblical themes and concepts Hollywood subtly inserts into their movies. But I digress. So yeah, the first half of the book deals primarily with historical stories, whereas the second half of the book deals more exclusively with prophecies. Now, these prophecies are highly apocalyptic in nature and very cryptic and symbolic. You have scenes of beasts with four heads and dragons with iron teeth. There are lions with wings. There's time periods and calculations like 2,300 days or 1,260 days, 1,290 days, 70 weeks. And then there are symbols like rams and goats and temples and seas and kings and princes. It's a very intriguing book, to say the least, and it very much got my attention. Now, remember, I considered myself an atheist at this point in my life. Even the notion of talking about the Bible or thinking about it was completely foreign to me. But after seeing that metaphysical being in that nightclub, having those flashbacks of my moral transgressions, these things aren't things you believe are possible or even plausible from the school of thought that I was in. And then there was that statement connecting this, this 911 event to an ancient manuscript. All of this was getting my attention for sure, but not that I understood it, especially this book of Daniel. But I guess this book appealed to my problem-solving personality. I could sense there was something here far below the surface, something that, to be honest, I felt compelled to pursue. Now, I had no guarantee that this would give me context to these metaphysical events I had experienced, but, but everything seemed to lead me, so far, to this book. Now, up until this point... I was reading this book online at the office during my lunch break, but I started to think that I need to give this process a bit more focus. I mean, this could be a massive key to unlocking what's going on in my life and perhaps give context to what many had started calling the post 911 world. But to do that, I'd need to get a Bible. I needed a hard copy, something, something I could mark and see spread out you see as a problem solver it's hard to work a problem without getting physical i need whiteboards or dedicated table spaces somewhere i can lay out my findings and ideas a place you can see connections that allows you to explore avenues of possibility if i'm going to do this i need a bible but where do you get a bible from a few days go by and i'm on my drive home from the office I stop at a set of red lights on the south side of Brisbane, and while I'm waiting there for the green light for what seemed like forever, a building on the corner of the intersection catches my eye. It has a massive blue sign above the roofline. I mean, this sign was about 20 metres long and about 3 metres or 4 metres high, and it only has two words written in incredibly large letters, and it just says, THE WORD. And then... Below it, in really, really small size font, it says book and Bible store, or something to that effect. I couldn't believe it. I had driven on this road every day to and from work, and I had never noticed this store. And so, obviously, I have to pull over and go inside. And can you picture this? (laughs) A guy who doesn't go to church, who doesn't even believe in God, who doesn't read the Bible, walks in to a Bible store. I mean, it sounds like the beginning of some kind of joke, and... You're waiting for the punchline, right? So I walk into the store and after a quick look around, I see an overhead sign which reads Bibles. So bingo, that has to be the section. So I made my way over to the back corner of the store as fast as possible. And I was really hoping not to run into some sort of salesperson. That's the last thing I need, to actually talk to someone. You see, up until this point, all of this, my encounter in the nightclub, The light show in the field, the cryptic prediction connecting buildings in New York City and Daniel chapter 11. All of these symbols and beasts and time calculations of this ancient Hebrew manuscript. All of this, I hadn't told a soul. Not my best mate, not my fiance, not my workmates, and definitely not my family. No one. Not a single soul. You see, I value the trait of being stoic. I always have. I have no idea why, but I've always had to be the person who could endure pain or hardship or the burden of difficulties without showing my feelings and especially without complaining. Maybe it was due to all my years in martial arts training as a teenager. They did work hard to train us not to show emotion, as that would be some kind of advantage to the enemy. Perhaps that's where it came from. Or perhaps it was. My genetic inheritance passed down the bloodline. After all, my grandfather always reminded me that my ancestors were Vikings from Norway. They were courageous and brave and fearless. They were what women wanted and what men wanted to be. Whatever it was, I never really shared what was going on in my life or in my mind until I had a rational and reasonable explanation or until the problem was solved. That's just how I'm wired, I guess. So I finally get to the Bible section of the store. And I'm honestly a little bit taken back when I get there. You see, when I thought I'll go buy a Bible, I thought it'd be pretty easy, a pretty straightforward exercise. But now that I'm here and I'm looking at about a hundred different kinds of Bibles sitting on these shelves, it seems like an impossible task. There's a man's Bible, a single woman's Bible. There's the youth Bible, the couple's Bible, the family Bible. And then there's the New International Bible, the King James Bible, the New King James Bible, the English Standard Bible, there's the Revised Standard Bible, there's the Jerusalem Bible. And here was I thinking that there was only one Bible. Which one do I get? I mean, they all sound like real Bibles, like the English Standard Bible. That sounds like, well, the Standard, right? But then... Right there next to it is the Revised Standard Bible. So that's the Standard Bible Revised? So that's got to be better, right? But then what about the Jerusalem Bible? I mean, that sounds like a real Bible. I'm sure for you seasoned Bible students and collectors, you're all shouting at me right now, telling me which is the best one. But right there, right then, in front of all those books, I had no idea. I don't know how long by this point I was there looking But it was long enough to be approached by the dreaded Bible salesperson. And then there's the question. Looking for a Bible, are we? I reply abruptly, yes. To which the salesperson comes back with, which version are you looking for? Which version do I want? What does he mean? How many versions of the Bible are there? I thought there was only one. And so I reply, "Ah, the best one, of course thinking that was a pretty good answer. No, actually, that was an excellent answer. And so he gives me a Bible with a smile and says, are you new to the Bible? As I look at the price, $20? I think, I thought all these Christians wanted to save us. And now they make us pay $20 for it? But I reply back to him with something like, I'm doing some research, to which he says, well, then, do you have a Strong's? And I'm thinking to myself, here we go. So I say, Uh, No, actually, I don't. Well, you have to have a Strong's if you're doing research. Next thing I know, I'm walking out of the store with a King James Bible and a book with the title, The Strongest Strong's, which cost me an extra $57, by the way. Now, this is probably a good point to interrupt the show just for a moment. I mentioned at the top of the show that I have a giveaway today. I have here a book, which is technically called a Bible portion. Unlike a Bible which has 66 books, this book only has three, and it starts out with the story of Jesus in the form of the Gospel of Mark, and then it goes to the teachings of Jesus in the form of the Gospel of John, which is then followed by what his followers have done in the form of the book of Acts. Now, this is a really easy read, and it's a great way to get a quick introduction to Jesus, his life, his teachings, and his followers. Now, this book is called Discover Jesus, and I have 20 of them right here to give away. So all you have to do to get one of these books is subscribe to The Faith Experiment using today's code word, FAITH. So all you have to do is text the code word, FAITH, F-A-I-T-H, to 4 888 And if you're one of the first 20 subscribers to the show, you're going to get one of these books discover Jesus absolutely for free. So text the code word faith to 11 Now we need to take a short break, but when we come back I'll continue with my post September 11 story. We'll be right back after this with the faith experiment.
0: The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate.
3: Crown Him with many crowns, the Lamb upon His throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns, all music it but its own. Awake, my soul, and see of Him who died for Thee, and hail Him as Thy matchless King. Through all eternity Crown Him the Lord of love Behold His hands and side Rich wounds yet visible above Beauty glorified, no angel in the sky can fully bear that sight. But downward bends his brow. Who triumphed o'er the grave And rose victorious in the strife For those He came to save His glories now we sing Who died and rose on high Who died eternal life to bring
0: You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM.
1: Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen. And on this episode of The Faith Experiment, we are looking at the aftermath of September 11, 2001. Now, in case you missed it, you need to text the code word FAITH, F-A-I-T-H, to the number 0488-45311. To subscribe to the show, and if you're one of the first subscribers, I will send you this great book, Discover Jesus. So, text the code word faith to 04 triple eight four five three double one. Now, I'm just taking you through some of the immediate effects of the aftermath of 911, and then I picked up my journey since that moment on 911 when I found that clue that somehow these towers in New York City were connected to this ancient Hebrew manuscript of Daniel. And after my first visit to a book and Bible store, I was now in the possession of a King James Bible and the Strongest Strongs. So I put them on the back seat of my car and continued my afternoon commute home. Now, on this particular evening, I was heading over to my fiancé's place for the evening. It was Thursday night, which meant late night shopping. And so our little custom had been to go out for dinner and maybe catch a movie and maybe get a few things from the shops. Now, we'd been engaged for about six or seven months by this point, and so a lot of our time was talking about wedding arrangements and seating plans and invitations and wedding dresses and menus and venues. And I think it's fair to say that by this time in our engagement, I was pretty much fatigued with the whole wedding thing. You couldn't watch a show without talking about the wedding. You couldn't have a meal without talking about the wedding. And of course, my view and justification of it all was that weddings are commercialized and just about money mention you need something for a wedding and the prices easily double it's ridiculous and besides who is this even for everyone's stressed by a wedding they cost a fortune and it's not like we believe in god or anything you see my fiance and a whole family for that matter were atheists as well it really was a match made in heaven which of course didn't exist so i guess it was a match made in the big bang So, yeah, what was the purpose of this whole wedding thing anyway? She wanted an outdoor wedding. We didn't need a church. But what did I know? I was only a guy and probably an immature one at that. So as much as I was looking forward to seeing my fiance, I knew what the subject of the night was going to be. And I was kind of even tired just thinking about it. And it was all of these thoughts that were running around and rerunning in my mind. And I was pondering that caused me to forget that I had. The strongest strongs in a brand new King James Bible on my back seat. See, my fiance's family were, let's just say, done wrong by Christians in the past. And so they had a very strong view on people who read the Bible. Which, if I was thinking it through, I might have tried to hide my new research project just for the sake of, well, for my sake. Why deal with drama when there is none? But I wasn't thinking it through, was I? And the Bible and the strongest strong stayed right there on the back seat as I went inside to do the meet and greet thing with the family before we headed out for the night. Well, the meet and greet of the family went well. So did getting into the car. So did the driving down the driveway. Well... That was until my fiancé happened to look back for something and happened to see my brand new Bible and the Strongest Strongs. And that is how my fiancé turned into an interrogator, a forensic scientist, and the head of the Atheistic Inquisition Crusade. We'd been together for about five years, and we'd been happy together, and I thought we knew each other really well. But that evening, I was introduced to a side of my fiancé That I not only didn't know, but never dreamt in a million years would or could ever exist. Right there in that car, it was like a transformation had taken place. And that I was dealing with an entirely different person, or being. The situation in that car, on our way to our weekly night out, very quickly went from bad, to worse, and then to horrific. The very details are not so important, so much as to say that the argument oscillated between me being a fraud, that somehow I always have been a Christian and I was just pretending to be an atheist to win her over, to, I'm a cult member, using my charms to try and infiltrate the family and convert them all to some Christian cult. Then, I was a lowlife, imbecile, whose mind succumbed to the lies of Christianity. It was impossible to communicate to her that I hadn't even opened it yet and that it was for a research project I was working on. Not that any of that mattered now. The only thing that mattered was that I dared to bring a Bible into her world. Well, needless to say, the dinner was off and the movie was out of the question and so was any shopping for that matter. We actually did make it all the way to the car park of the restaurant when I was forcefully instructed to take her home. So I did. Now, suddenly my thoughts turned towards the scene that was coming. How is all this going to go when we get back to her place and the family is there? Well, fortunately for me, I guess, by the time we got home, everyone had gone out shopping and so it was just us. But the arguing continued. And then there were long stints of silence, then arguing again, Then some more silence. Call me ignorant, but I really could not see the big deal with all of this. I mean, I knew that her family had been hurt by the Bible believers, but why and how does this invoke such strong passion against even owning a Bible? But that evening, the person I was interacting with, as far as I'm concerned, was not the person I was engaged to. And then it happened. While sitting there in silence, I'm told, This is all because you want to become a Christian, don't you? I was shocked. You could have blown me away with a feather. I mean, where did that come from? Who said anything about wanting to become a Christian? In all these past events the dark, shadowy figure in the nightclub, the lightning in the field, the events of 911, the prediction connecting the book of Daniel to these attacks. None of this made me think for a second I wanted to become a Christian. You see, I saw all of this more like some kind of X file thing, where there were clues to find and puzzles to solve. That's where my headspace was, not to become a Christian. I am. I still thought of myself as an atheist. I didn't need or want God in my life, but, but now, to be asked point blank, "You want to be a Christian, don't you?" was absurd. But it was also confronting. Sitting in silence, I was trying to process this question. Why? Of all the people in my life, why this question from her? And then I felt like I was being drawn back to that nightclub and made to endure that feeling, that sense of entrapment by that dark, shadowy figure. But then I felt like I was being thrust to the field, looking up at that Powerful grandeur that play-by-play scene of bad deeds. And then there were those words of the prophecy of Daniel chapter 11 are soon to reach their complete fulfillment. And then the words ringing in my mind. You want to be a Christian, don't you? Over and over again. Was this it? Was this my moment? Was this the moment that all of these events were preparing me for? What if I say No. Would I close some great unseen cosmic door? Would I forfeit something metaphysical? But what if I say yes? What does that even mean? I would have to change things in my life. Do I want to change things in my life? Am I happy with the way things are in my life right now? I sat there in silence for what seemed like 10 minutes trying to make sense of this question and these questions that were swelling around in my mind. And then, my mouth said, Yes, you're right, I want to be a Christian. Wait, what? Was that still me thinking, or did I just say that? Well, with the change on her face, I had my answer. The immediate response was, Well, you have a choice to make. You choose God, or you choose me. What? Choose God or choose you? This was a really difficult question. It was a hard question, to be honest. I didn't see it coming. I I probably should have seen it, but for whatever reason, I didn't. And the way I saw it, I had three options. One, don't answer, which doesn't solve or resolve anything. Two, I answer, I choose you, I get rid of the Bible and all this goes away, or does it? What if God does exist, and this is my last chance to connect with him? Or my third option is, I answer, I choose God, and then choose something that I've never seen, never heard, never touched, have zero evidence of his existence, and lose my fiancée, lose a future with her, a living, breathing, flesh and blood right here, right now person. Someone I can talk to, someone I can see. And so as I thought and pondered the question and the implication, I suddenly short circuited the process and said to myself, wait, why am I being placed in this situation by her? Who does she think she is that she can force my hand? Why can't I have it all or none of it? I'm not letting a fiance dictate to me. After all, if she's treating me like this now, then how will she be as a wife? And so I responded with, I'm going with the God option. And just like that, she threw the ring at me and told me to get out. And that was the last time I saw her. I made my way back to the car and started to back out down the driveway, thinking, what in the world has just happened? How did things just spiral so quickly out of control? What happens now? So I come to the conclusion that I'll just leave it a day or two. After that, she should calm down. I'm halfway home and my phone rings. It's my best mate. Rob, what the I said, mate, what are you on about? He says, we're done, mate. We are done. I said, what are you talking about? He said... Your new ex has just called me and told me the whole story. We're done, mate. As far as I'm concerned, you've got spiritual aids. And he hung up. And that was the last time I ever talked with my best mate. This is the guy I went to primary and high school with. A guy who I traveled the world with. And just like that, he was the first of my social circle who one by one called me or messaged me and told me that I was no longer welcome in my circle of friends. You see, all of my friends were just like me, atheists. We spent our drinking philosophical nights debating and deriding not just Christians, but any religious person. And so, in the space of one evening, my whole life was turned upside down. And then the thought came to me, As soon as I got this book, the Bible, my entire world has turned on me. We need to take a short break now, but when we come back, I'll continue with my post-September 11 story. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment.
0: If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.
3: Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You've been so, so kind For me, love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are, and how great. Perfections are for me. Oh, how he loves us so.
0: Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today.
1: Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm your host Robbie Bergen, and this is Episode Two of the Faith Experiment: The Aftermath. And I'm taking you back to the aftermath of 911, both in the world and in my personal life. Now, don't forget to text the code word FAITH to 0488845311 to subscribe to the show. And if you're one of the first 20 subscribers, I'll send you this great book, Discover Jesus. Now, I just shared how I visited my first Bible bookstore. And then that night, how my whole world turned upside down. How my fiancé broke off our engagement because of the mere presence of a Bible. And how my best mate since primary school shunned me along with the rest of my social circle. As I got off the phone with my now ex-mate, my head was spinning. Was this really happening? I started to feel dazed and lightheaded. Surely this can't all be real. I must be dreaming. I mean, it was like at the start of the day I had my life, my plans, my mates, and in an instant, it was like a landslide had brought it all down. And everything pointed back to those events which had led me to this book, the Bible. What did it all mean? Where was this taking me? What was going on? A few days go by, and it was like I was now living in an alternative universe. Everything that was known and familiar and reliable and predictable was now uncertain. On September 20th, 2001, President Bush addressed the United States Congress.
2: By aiding and abetting murder, the Taliban regime is committing murder. And tonight, the United States of America makes the following demands on the Taliban. Deliver to United States authorities all the leaders of Al-Qaeda who hide in your land, including American citizens you have unjustly imprisoned. Close immediately and permanently every terrorist training camp in Afghanistan, and hand over every terrorist and every person in their support structure to appropriate authorities. These demands are not open to negotiation or discussion. Now this war will not be like the war against Iraq a decade ago with a decisive liberation of territory and a swift conclusion. Americans should not expect one battle, but a lengthy campaign unlike any other we have ever seen. Every nation in every region now has a decision to make either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. And tonight, a few miles from the damaged Pentagon, I have a message for our military. Be ready. I've called the armed forces to alert, and there is a reason. The hour is coming when America will act, and you will make us proud.
1: Listening and watching these speeches, it was... As if you were listening to carefully scripted Hollywood action movies. I mean, lines like, you're either with us or with the terrorists. And the message to the U.S. armed forces, be ready. Not get ready, but be ready. I mean, this was epic. But what was going on? Where was the world headed? I finally decided it was time to visit my parents and tell them that the engagement was off. And that there'd be no wedding. And I guess I'm going to have to explain the obvious question. Why? What do I say? How much do I share? Do I tell them about these metaphysical events? About dark, shadowy figures and thunderstorms? Or about predictions of ancient prophecies? Or that I'd bought a Bible? I arrived at their house, and I unlocked the front door. My parents lived in a two-story house with their living area upstairs. Downstairs, my dad had built a home cinema. Not the kind you find in your average house today. No, when I say he built a home cinema, I literally mean he built a home cinema. When you open the front door you could either go upstairs to the living area or stay downstairs and turn left and enter Cinema Seven. The first thing you would see is a movie light box. You know the kind big white box with fluoro lights behind it and then On the front were removable black letters which which advised of the upcoming movies with session times and ratings, just like at a regular cinema. Then, you'd make your way into the waiting area. A room full of movie posters, cozy couches to wait on, a full-length bar with mirror shelves containing every kind of alcoholic beverage you can imagine. There was a hot dog machine. A popcorn maker, glass jars of lollies. Then there were the overhead speakers playing mood music. Then when you made your way into the cinema itself, you were met with an icy, cold, air-conditioned black room. With staggered rows and actual cinema chairs, complete with popcorn holders. My dad never did things in halves. If he did something, it was full on. Now, every time I would drop by and visit my parents, the first thing you would see when you entered the front door was the white light box advertising the next movie night. I remember seeing things like this weekend, the Matrix or Star Wars. But tonight, as I opened the front door, the sign read, Jesus is coming soon. I was frozen in my tracks. What was this? Why was this on the sign? Is this a movie? Is this a joke? Had my parents already heard about my fight with my now ex? Was this making fun of me? and the situation of me buying a Bible? As I slowly made my way upstairs, not sure what to expect, I heard my mother muttering in a low voice. And as I got to the top of the stairs, and I finally had a view of the lounge room, I was not prepared for what I saw next. My mom and dad were kneeling around the coffee table and praying. Their eyes were closed, their hands were folded, right there in the middle of the lounge room kneeling and praying what was happening to my world. Well next time on the Faith Experiment, I'll continue to take you on my journey through the aftermath of 911 as I share with you my own Faith Experiment. Now at the end of each episode of the Faith Experiment, I'll be going through the inbox. This is where I share your comments and questions and feedback from previous episodes. The first comment I've got here is from Stuart. Stuart says, I clearly remember where I was on 911. I was walking into the common room at the Coffs Harbor Tafe doing a computer course. There was nothing on the TV screens except the attack on the Twin Towers. Thank you, Stuart, for that. Next, I have an email from Jeffrey, who's listening to the faith experiment from Toowoomba in Queensland. Welcome, Jeffrey. And we have a comment from Lauren in Tasmania who says she's enjoying the show. Thank you for your feedback. Remember, you can text me your feedback or your questions on 0488 45311. That's 0488 45311. Or you can email me at robbie at faithfm.com.au. My question to you based on this episode is, how do you think life has changed since 9-11? Again, text me or email me. Well, that's all we have time for today. I will catch you next week at the same time right here on Faith FM for the next episode of The Faith Experiment. I'll see you then.
0: You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 0488 That's 048845311. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode.